What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where this week my special guest is Simon Minty. Simon has delivered consultancy in the field of disability since the early 2000s, working with some of the biggest organisations in the world, such as HSBC, Google and the BBC. And he's done all of this whilst also being a TV and social media personality. He's also got a creative side helping to improve the portrayal of disabled people on screen. And in 2020, he joined the board of the National Theatre in London. Simon has a personal experience being disabled, being of short stature and having limited mobility. He draws on his own experiences as well as those around him to be able to deliver the highest quality of consultancy. And if all of this wasn't enough, Simon has recently returned from Cologne, where he was taking part in the World Dwarf Games. We find out so much more about this competition and how Simon got on in this podcast. But before we jump into the conversation, if you think you know someone who would enjoy this episode or this podcast just as much as you, then please do forward it on to them and let's grow this outside and active community. Without further ado, let's jump straight into this episode with Simon Minty. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where today my special guest is Simon Minty. Simon, hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Dom. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I'm really looking forward to this episode and chatting to you. But before we dive into it, I'm going to offer you a piece of advice. And this piece of advice is not from me. It's from someone who has been a guest on the podcast before and they're leaving a piece of advice for someone and for the someone today is you. And this piece of advice comes from Sir Chris Hoy and oh, his, <laughs> his piece of advice is if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing properly. And he's taken that from as advice that his grandmother gave to him and now he wanted to pass it along. So I guess the question from that is what's your immediate feeling and reaction to that advice? I remember that. I think my parents would tell me that. I, I, it's like variation. If a job's doing well, yeah, you've got to do it well or whatever. And I like it. And it is a philosophy I do. So when I'm doing my work, I want to be prepared. I want to do as much as I possibly can. So, yeah, I agree with him. It's um, If you're going to do it, you might as well make the best of it. And that's something we do in every episode. And the other question that I ask to every guest, and it's purposefully vague because I like to see where people take it, but it's, what do you love about being outside and active? Qualification first, because I think I'm a little bit more of an indoor person. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if that's uh, related to being some of dwarfism and disability um, or whether it's uh, just I've always had sporting ability because my parents have but I couldn't also do the practical things. And when people go, let's go for a big walk on a mountain or over a hill, I go, well, no, I don't really want to do that. That's quite a lot of hard work. Um, however, there is equipment that allows me to do that now. Uh, when I'm feeling a little bit restless or blue and I'm in my flat, I will. there's a park right opposite where I live, and I will go out and I just go around for an hour and a half on my scooter, and it just naturally lifts me. So... Um, the, you know, I mean, I'm going to sound corny, but there's more outside. That's the point. There is, you know, whether it's the country, whether it's the beach, wherever it might be, whether it's a sports, uh, place. So yeah, I do like being at home, but, um, it picks you up. I like that. I like that. There's a few topics and themes that are going to run 
throughout our conversation and through this podcast, disability being one of them you've touched on already there, inclusivity and opportunity, I think, as well. And I also want people to learn from this podcast and especially from what you do as a job. And you were talking about being active there and that's something we're going to come on to later with something that you've just come back from, which looks amazing. I'm excited to hear more about that. But also, if, if because this can sometimes be a, uh, a taboo topic, I want you to pick me up on anything that maybe talking about disability or talking anything about inclusivity that might be wrong because I think there'll be people listening to this that maybe will want to learn and I think that's quite important as well but I want to kick off with actually asking what you do day to day uh, disability consultant can you explain a bit more about what that actually is I can I'd, I'd also say you are a lot younger than me and I also feel the world has moved on some of these inclusion topics and I'll probably learn from you you know some of the stuff that I am pleased about or appreciate you guys take for granted granted um so I, it's a mutual one but um i'm not very good at doing it in a nutshell but <laughs> my main job is a trainer and consultant so i work with larger companies uh I'm working with google or hsbc and i do training and consultancy around disability mostly in the workplace so i might work with managers and helping them support their colleagues or team members who have a disability and I work with people who have disabilities doing career development programs. Uh, I have a couple of other things. I'm, I sit on two boards because I apparently have wisdom due to my <laughs> age or experience, and that frustrates me. You still want to be a rebel. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so the National Theatre, which is a remarkable place and creative and culture, and I adore that, and an organisation called Motability Operations, which is a car leasing company uh, for disabled people. 700,000 customers, we buy 200,000 cars a year. It is a mammoth uh, organisation. Um, I do a little podcast myself with my colleague Phil, The Way We Roll, and I pop up on TV from time to time as I'm uh, part of a TV show with my sister. Lots of different things. <laughs> You're busy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? With the risk of sounding a little bit pompous, being self-employed is great for me. And I always remember when I changed my career quite early on, mid-20s, late-20s, if you said, what do you want to do when you're older? This is kind of it. I mean, I've sort of managed to wangle it, that it it's pretty good. You mentioned that career change. So this isn't something that you've been doing kind of from the offset. What was it you initially were involved in? Uh, I messed around doing A-levels, never finished them. Then I worked for Barclays Bank for seven years and I used to run training courses for them. So I've always done training and I love training. It's my kind of my instinctive, natural place. Um, but after seven years, I thought I was mid-20s and I thought there's more to the world. So I went backpacking and then I went back to university as a mature student. I said to Barclays, I'll come back if you put me in the diversity team. And they said no. And so I said, OK, I've got to go elsewhere. And that's when I became self-employed. And how have you seen in that time portrayals of disability in media and also the approach in businesses change and maybe evolve over the time that you've been working in this sector? This morning, I'm writing, for two days, I've been writing a chapter for a book that someone's asked me to do about the representation, particularly of dwarfism. So it's really in my head right now. <laughs> and I think it's phenomenal. And I think the change has been amazing. I saw someone this week who is involved in this field, and I said, I'm scared that we're having this golden period of better rep representation on screen, on stage, just generally. And I'm scared it's temporary. It might be a flash in the pan. I'll have two years. And she said, no, 
but the industry society's woken up and thought we've taken so long we're embarrassed that we've been not good at this and it feels like a permanent change in terms of employment uh it's hard it's a mixed bag i think if you do work for somebody and have a disability more support more openness more career progression more adjustments but it's not quite there yet there's still high unemployment uh still most likely if you have a disability you're going to be in poverty there's still and also just physical buildings um neurodivergent is something we're talking about a lot and trying to get our heads around because it's not properly included mm. or dealt with. so as soon as you think you've cracked it there's another area that we need to work hard on when you're going to businesses organizations and talking to them about inclusivity and disability is it predominantly visible or is it also invisible disabilities as well uh, I'm pan disability or pan conditions, depending on what you want to talk about, uh, call it. Uh, and I always have been. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't sit there and say, this is what it's like to have X. It's interesting. I did a career development program recently and someone wrote to me afterwards and said, yeah, you talked about this, but the difference is uh, my condition means people don't always understand me. People make judgments about me. People don't always think about me. And I wrote back and said, no, no, that's the disability experience. It's not unique to you. We share all of that. Um, so I can do that shared bit, but I try and work across the board. Uh, I have lots of experience, and obviously I'm, I'm deep into disability arts and culture, so I've, I've got lots of reference points. Mm. But, yeah, I wouldn't do – I'm not single issue. It's, it's, it's across the board. Occasionally they will direct me, and they say, look, we've got – we're really weak on this area, or – I mean, sometimes it's really clumsy. They go, you know what? We've done so much stuff on mental health recently or mental ill health. Could you do something else? Have you got any deafness? And like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's almost like this shopping list. Um, but, you know, you, you pick what will work and I weave other things in there. So, yeah. You kind of name dropped a few different businesses, organisations that you've worked with. Um, and my head went to oh, surely these massive worldwide international organisations must be clued up about how to be inclusive and, and disability awareness, but that maybe isn't the case. Um, I do a lot of name dropping, by the way. We've only just started. You wait, I'll be putting <laughs> some big clunkers in later. Uh, uh, okay, so I would flip it around and kind of say, how can a small business of mine be working with these huge outfits? And maybe it's the, the other side of your same question, which is, surely they have it i disability is an interesting one because for a long time you'll have individuals within organizations who grab this and go right i want to change it and they either are connected to it or they have something or they believe in it and these are the real change makers they're the people who pull me in to support them so there is always good stuff going on inside um I used to go in and, we, you know, I might be starting from basics. You've got to look at the building and then you've got to write a policy and then you look at procedure, then you do your training and so on. Now they might have got some of that in place. So it might be very specific about events or communication or career development. So there is good stuff, yes, but um, things go wrong. Uh, there's still gaps. Managers, the middle managers who are the ones who have the real pressure on this, they've got so many demands and so many areas and getting it right and being up to date on everything can be tricky. So um, some some are good and some are not so good. Uh, it, it, what we always try and do, for want of a better word, is to embed it. So rather than have these dynamic individuals in an organisation that drive it, 
you want it to be within the organization irrespective of me or somebody else so it's it's just part of the culture and that takes a long time to get everyone to sign up and the, these businesses generally very receptive to you know the advice that and the consultancy that you're giving them uh i'm lucky i when I joined, there was a chap called Phil Friend. He ran a company and he and I became a partnership and he'd already been established. Uh, in the 20 plus years I've done this, I've never advertised. I don't do direct selling. I've never approached and I get approached. So they already want me. They kind of, they're already interested in me. Of course, it'd be once or twice it's gone wrong or I've suggested something. They're like, no, we're not doing that. But for the most part, having the mix of what always used to be was, do you have authenticity or we call it lived experience? So you know your stuff because you live it. But secondly, do you understand how businesses and large organizations work? Just saying this is me and this is how I live isn't sufficient. It's also how do we structure this? What are the what's the strategy? How do we keep this going? So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, they have been open to it. I, I like it when they push back because that means I'm challenged. I like training managers who don't want to be there because they think it's a waste of time. Um, I like those because if I can win them over, they become the best allies. So yeah, for the most part, it's good though. One thing that I kind of wanted to pick out from looking through your website was you work with big organizations that are international and it says that it's allowed you to understand different how different cultures approach disability. So I kind of wanted to explore that a bit more um it's one of my favorite things to do which is travel uh and i've been lucky that i've had those international clients i think of a big investment bank i can think of the british council and they ping me off to all sorts of places whether it's southeast asia the states but to albania and pakistan and and i i'll meet other disabled people and within two minutes we get each other mm. um and I love that. But then they'll say what you have in the UK, you have um, law, you have structures, you have people like you who appear on television, uh, you have an art scene, you have a sports scene, uh, you have a benefit system, you have support, have a car leasing company, a, a company, they don't have any of that. And so um, in some ways it reminds me that although we've got a long way to go, we are quite fortunate. But equally it's that, um, I, I, I remember in Pakistan, disability might be seen as something that was religious or paying for uh, something you've done in a previous life. And in China, uh, people with disabilities were shunned or disappeared or even there was a one-child policy in China for many years so to stop the population growth. But if you had a disabled child, that didn't count towards your uh, quota, which sort of just positions perfectly disability as a, a sort of an, it doesn't quite count. Um, so uh, understanding that, learning about that, and it is true, I learn hugely from other countries, of course I do, and I meet these amazing people who are pushing change under circumstances uh, that are really difficult. There's like two different sides there. It's the, you touched on the legal side of support, but also social support and awareness and things like that so you're, you're looking at two different kind of two-pronged approach but are you able to learn take things back from other countries and kind of look at the uk and take take elements from learn from international experience 
Yeah, because some international clients, I had one very recently, uh, a financial organization, and they said, can you tell us the best international companies that have the best approach to this? Um, and what they want to do is blend it. I had one company that said, we want to write a policy on making workplace adjustments, but we don't know which country's law we should base it on because we're in 40 countries. And I said, well, why do we have to base Let's base it on the best combination of all of them. And you have an overarching policy that leads the way. Um, so I forgot your first your question, uh, but I'm going to do a slight digression. Globalization has difficulties and has uh, drawbacks. One of the bits that is amazing is you can go into a multinational and their policies and procedure around diversity, whether it's um, ethnicity or gender or uh, sexuality or disability, their policies can be stronger than what's going on in the country. And they can influence how a country approaches some of these really difficult uh, subjects. So that's pretty amazing when I'm in a country talking to a, an organization about being better and it's ahead of what's going on in the, as a, a sort of a, a societal thing. Interested to pick your brains about um, this kind of opinion or thought, because I've been fortunate enough to speak to Johnny Peacock on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, fantastic, fantastic person. And speak to him about his experience with disability. Similarly with a gentleman called Darren Edwards, who fell yeah. whilst climbing and ended up uh, being paralysed from the neck down and kind of wanting to break out of any sort of stereotypical mold and he wanted to go kayaking and he's he's done the seven marathons in seven days in seven continents and fantastic fantastic individuals and hearing how they have similar but also different opinions about their own and disability and disability in general and the, it kind of came down to a mixture of wanting to spotlight someone's uh, spotlight someone's disability and celebrate it versus actually no I, I'm, disability is a term but I'm actually just like you but it's I have a different thing that I have to contend with you have to contend with this I have to contend with being in a wheelchair so I just wanted to kind of it's a bit of a long question there and a bit of a complex bit but interesting uh, in your thoughts I, I I understand it um and there is a perennial debate uh, amongst differently disabled people, as in, if you get it from birth, most people, it's they get something in life, you know, later on in life, particularly when they're older. Mm. Uh, but there'll be other people like Darren who might have an accident and so on. So, you know, if you've led your life in a certain way, I met someone with MS last week. She's 31. She was so matter of fact about having MS. It even took me back. And then she also said, my greatest love is writing books and uh reading so even when this ms gets pretty full-on i don't know how much of an impact it's gonna have whereas if you are an athlete or a mountain climber bloody hell you want to get back out there and do whatever you did in a different way so it, it, it depends on how it impacts and changes your life then you have the actual physical or mental changes as well as then how society starts treating you and does that start treating you as less or excluding you or not thinking about you or i mean they might overdo it and overly include you um we have a little line which is very bad language so forgive me um which is a super grip and this is you get something or you have a disability and you completely overcompensate for it by doing seven marathons in seven days or me i work way too hard because i'm trying to prove something uh i spoke to sophie morgan who's a wheelchair user and pops up on tv and does stuff 
and she said, I, whenever I post social media, I always had to be positive. I didn't want to show them the, the not so good side. Um, and I think we're getting more sophisticated and we're allowing the true complexity of having a disability where it's good and it can be bad. But remembering that sometimes the biggest issues or barriers are how we have society and how we've set it up and forgotten or excluded or how people are treated. Get rid of some of those. And then being a disabled person, well, I think would be a lot more matter of fact. Um, I don't know if I've answered that. I think, I think so. I think I like, I like the way you, uh, it was interesting just picking up what you said at the end there about um, society's kind of approach to it because you post and social media as well, because you posted on social media a couple of months ago about an interaction you had with someone, I think at the shops and, and how, it maybe had an impact in your day and people that are insensitive um if you don't mind talking about that situation explain a little bit more kind of I yeah i would uh, insensitive it, it's it's beyond i yeah. want to say they were little swear words yeah. um uh, and this is my point is i've been me for over 50 years and I've had dwarfism all of that time. So I know, and I can see it, and I know what's going to happen. This is not new. Um, every And, you know, I've got my whole my strategies, and I've got all my armor plating, and I've got all the people I speak to. So I'm pretty well set up. But every now and again, something punches through. And this was uh, in a shop, and five 11 to 14-year-old boys who are my nemesis. And um, not a look or a stare or something like that it was going past me deliberately getting really close to me i can't even remember what they said but there was a sort of a line that was a dig and then them giggling and laughing uh and i was furious i was absolutely furious um and it, the, the bit which i suppose is, is advantageous is now that one probably stuck around 24 48 hours it doesn't. The fact that I can't remember what they said shows, you know, yeah. you move on. Um, and for the most part, 98% of people are amazing and brilliant. Uh, this is my other because I always want to turn into a positive. I met a friend who is short, and she recently had to walk past some boys who were the same age, and she could see them nudging and getting ready, and she had to kind of literally go through them, and she said something like, excuse me. And one of them was ready to, like, say, well, whatever, or give her some grief. But one of the boys said let her through let the lady through and they all had to sort of separate and she went through and she looked back at him and said thank you and he nodded and said a pleasure and i love that stuff because i think the boy who did that had more strength and courage than all the little what's it's who are ready to give you grief so yeah it happens from time to time um and it isn't unique to me there'll be people with other conditions that get it um it can just be quite full on when they get through like that like you said, 11 to 14 year olds being a nemesis in a slightly jovial way. But is that potentially down to education in schools or kids like that? When I put it on social media, it went ballistic mm. and I got 5,000 plus you know, reactions, which is quite a lot for me. And then loads of comments. So the, the, there was 10% of the people wanted to punch them. And I'm like, no, I'm not encouraging that. Uh, I reckon 50% like went straight to blaming parents. And I was like, no, I'm not telling it. I'm not I'm not saying this to start blaming parents for how they bring up their kids. And I don't think it's one single thing. I do think, of course, parents and their influence, but they can't always control that. It's, it's the young 
boy who is stronger and says, I'm not letting this happen, or I'm going to tell my friends to back off. And I bet your bottom dollar, the one who was positive to my friend, he will have a connection. He will either understand disability or he'll understand difference in some way because he just got it. Um, uh, there was a bit, so I also think the work that I do in terms of representation on screen and having people who are different popping up, it becomes boring. That's the plan. It, me or anyone else who is different wandering around, you're like, well, yeah, they're different, but it's boring. Uh, why would I even engage with that? I've seen it. It doesn't make any difference. That's the idea. I like the way that you've put that. It becomes becomes boring. It becomes part of everyday. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Um, like I said at the beginning, I want people to be able to learn from this and take things away from it. And there's an article uh, on Forbes, which I know you'll be aware of. Um, seven things disabled people have to think about every day. And I was reading through this and it's something that I would take for granted if I had to go and see a friend in London in a restaurant in central London that I have to think about what time my train is and what time I'm meeting them. Whereas this article, and I'd like to hear from your experience as well as what you would have to think about, makes you think the amount of different elements of travel, of society, of whatever else that you have to think about when you're traveling and doing a everyday thing. Uh, I like the article um, because it's, it's basic. It's a reminder of the ABCs as in, Am I going to be able to get there? Can I park? What's public transport like? Will I be able to sit down? Will I be able to go to the loo? Real basics that everyone else would take for granted. Um, and it's that little reminder of if you have a disability, depending on what it is, you may have another five questions. And part of the work that we do around making things accessible or making adjustments is the idea that you could turn up to anywhere and just do the same as anybody else. I went to Edinburgh recently, got the train there and back. I only do the train when I know I haven't got to make changes because if I have to make changes, I'm terrified of getting stranded. Um, I pre-booked all my assistants and of course it wasn't there. So I have to go through a whole rigmarole to get people to, to help me uh, and get on and off the train. Um, I, I met a friend this week and she's come up with, I think she called it a disability rider. So, you know, if you're like uh, <laughs> a band, you have your rider yeah. and, this said, this is what I need. And it was like level access, no gravel, da, da, da. She also said everyone panics. She's a wheelchair user. So everyone says I've got to have an accessible loo. But the nature of her condition, she's not going to use a public toilet. She does that elsewhere. Um, so she said, don't worry about a disabled loo. I don't need one. And uh, so I think, oh, a little rider. You don't want to have to say it. Like, ideally, you have a rider. Tell people this is what I need. Or oh, the other bit she had on it, she has a support worker, so someone who assists her with certain things. And she said, you don't engage with them. They are not part of the, you meeting me. They are there to facilitate certain things for me. And I think that's a beautiful, really insightful uh, comment. So I said to her, I need a rider like this that you send people. So you say, this is what you need to know about. And I go back to my corny ambition, which is eventually that things on the rider will be less and less because it's already thought of. I have one client now that every time I turn up, there's a little step stool to rest my feet on. They even have a charger for my scooter. So what I have to take is less and less and less now because it's all there. But that's not only impacting you, that's impacting other people that may be able to benefit from those changes. 
Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the thing, the flip side of that is then you've got to tell people because we don't expect them to have a step stool and a, a portable charger. So telling people this is what we got. Welcome. Come along. Um, yeah. So uh, in, the, the list can be long. There's also a, a, a self thing in that for a while I had a really difficult hip that was immensely painful. So I was using crutches. So I had crutches, I had a mobility scooter, I had to use a hearing aid. There's other things. And I'm like, oh, man, the amount of kit that I have to take and make sure it works, make sure it's charged. When I pack my suitcase, it'll be the same as yours. And then there's the stick that I might take. There'll be the step stool that I might take. There might be one or two other things that I need to make sure they're there because it could be tricky for me otherwise. Um, anyone else who has a disability or has a difference, this is old hat to them. That sort of seven thing they do automatically. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the aim is that gradually those seven things reduce to one, two, because we're all aware we've got it sorted. Well, the talk of travel transitions me quite nicely to talking about um, a trip that you've just been on to Germany, the World Dwarf Games. Tell me what it is and what, well, how you got involved, really. Um, uh this was the eighth World Dwarf Games. It happens every four years, just like the Olympics and the Paralympics. Um, it is travelled around the world. Uh, it, I think it might have started in the US, but the UK is a real leader on this. We have an organisation called the Dwarf Sports Association of the UK. Uh, phenomenal reach. I was speaking to one of the organisers, and they said, we think there's around 5,000 people who have dwarfism in the UK. We're in contact with 2,000 of them. So they've got a 40% penetration of that, that, that the population. And it's unbelievable. Wow. It is also amazing because you go along to these things and it's not sitting around talking about TV, talking about life, talking about being short. You're doing activity all the way through. So it's the evening when you start talking about what you, you did. And we have six-year-olds who are throwing a tennis ball, throwing a Frisbee, doing their first sort of competitive. um, uh, And the point being, it's competitive on a level playing field because we are all very similar of a similar height, similar. We have three categories because there are differences and we need to make that as fair as we can. Um, And then I think, I don't know what the oldest would have been. I think there was a 74-year-old who was swimming and diving off the podium. She terrified me. Um, (laughs) So uh, there is a real age range and there's competitiveness, but there is also supportiveness. We had 600 uh, athletes, uh, 27 countries, and maybe 600 other um, supporters and family and so on. Is it quite a refreshing experience for you to go there? And like you said, there are different categories, but ultimately everyone's of a similar size to you. Um, I used to call it the shot in the arm. It's like a a, a drug. It's uh, you suddenly go, wow. It, it is a line that I learned quite late in life. And I, they, there was associations for people who have different conditions. You know, there's different groups and so on. And I've always thought, well, the people who go to them, they're the ones who are struggling because it's difficult. So they need some support group. And then I get, went and I started joining them. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. It's all the ones who've joined these groups, they're the ones who are thriving because they are relishing both being themselves and the rest of the world. It's the ones who are pretending or denying or struggling. I don't want to hang out with them. I'm not like them. Right. Well, you are, you are like them. And I mean, equally, by the way, I'll meet 600 people and 
I don't get on with all of them. Some of them don't like me, some of them, whatever. You know, we're different. We have different personalities, different cultural approaches. Um, that said, I'll add one other thing. Doesn't matter what age, what country, whether you like them or not, there is a deep understanding and there is a supportive nature that I get nowhere else. Uh, and what I mean by that is if something goes wrong or someone's having some difficulty, all bets are off, you just help them. It, it is what you do. I the last night was a, a club night, and I found myself next to the DJ. Uh, I don't even what's called DJ desk. What do they called it? Uh, where the DJs were. Yeah, yeah. And there were three hundred people between me and the door, and they were packed. And I had my mobility scooter, and I'm like, oh hell, uh, I'm never going to get past this lot. And I just started moving, maybe a foot, and suddenly everyone moves out of the way. The whole place moved out of the way. And those who were still dancing would get pushed out of the way. I mean, it was just like, let them through. And a little bit of oh, blo oh, old bloke on the scooter. But actually, it was more, um, we will make your life as easy as possible because we all know. And uh, the bit that I translate that to be, being having dwarfism, 95% of your time is absolutely fine. It is what it is. It's fine. It's lovely. There's amazing things. And then there was times it's really difficult. And then when you're with everybody like you, they all get that. Mm. So you know that you make sure there is nothing that needs to be difficult. So, yeah, it's a joyous, joyous place. This was in Cologne, wasn't it? Yeah. Would it, it, I imagine if someone was just going there to visit on holiday and then yeah. realised it. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. It was a gag I used to do, actually. Uh, I, I had it once in Denver where they had the little people of America. By the way, dwarf and little people are phrases I don't gen or words I don't generally use, but they are names of the organization. So, you know, that's how it is. Um, just just to, what, what word would you then, what phrase would you then use? I just say short yeah. uh, or I have dwarfism. Okay. It, it's just when you become the whole noun, a dwarf sounds a bit kind of clunky to me. Yeah. Um, by the way, generational. There are people I know who are mid-twenties and they use it quite happily and don't even think about it um so it's you know uh yeah and denver where there was two and a half thousand of us and i met someone afterwards and they genuinely believe that all short people live there uh, <laughs> and you're like you know we 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 find our city and we all move so yeah i mean but also when you know the first day you arrive the people in cologne were welcoming but they were oh hello and they're looking about a bit and suddenly there's a lot of us on all the public transport in the cafes wandering around by day three you get on the bus and the driver says oh you get they know they know where you're going they know what you're doing i probably feel for anyone who had dwarfism who happened to be living in cologne and was nothing to do with the games because everyone would have gone up and said, Oh, what sports are you doing? And yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, going to the stadium. And like, no, I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> and you were doing powerlifting, bench press, and is it bo yeah. Bocchia or Boccia? I call it Boccia. Boccia. I wasn't sure. And uh, how, how did you get on? How was it? Uh, it was great. So I've got to again remind I'm 55. Uh, I said at the top of the show, I'm not. I haven't done a lot of sports uh, and I was told not to do a lot of sports by Great Ormond Street because of certain things with my body. So um, to do this later, anyway, I used to do shooting in the UK. They couldn't get the guns to Germany. And I thought, well, I need to do something else besides Boccia. Mm. Uh, Boccia is the sort of beanbag. It's like ball. You have a jack. You've got to get yours to the closest and it's done in teams or individuals. Everyone can play that, which is lovely. I wanted to do another one. And someone said, powerlifting you lay on your back it's the bench press and you push the bar up um 
so I trained. I go to the gym anyway. I got my, I said to my trainer, look, can you help me? Do you want to? And he really got into this. I mean, he put so many hours into this way and above. Um, and uh, I did all right. So they don't uh, categorize you by age. And I was a little bit disappointed by that. <laughs> you wanted that little bit. <laughs> Goodness me. It's so unfair. They literally categorize you by weight. Um, the way in, it still is with me. I, it's been a long time since I've stood in a changing room with 30 blokes in their underwear. I This is not something I do very often. I also, all short blokes like me. Anyway, I did three lifts, all successful, uh, and you can get a medal for the biggest single lift, and that's the one I always understand. Yeah. And a guy lifted 120 kilos. Wow. And, oh, it's phenomenal what they do. Uh, and he won my weight category. However, they also do a cumulative total. And he failed his other two. So there's me who did three plus or minus around 50. 52 kilos was my personal best. I did it there. It's amazing. So when you add all of mine up, it was 100 and I can't even remember, 150 kilos, something like that. So I got the third best total and I got myself a bronze medal, which is ridiculous and lovely. Amazing. Well, I mean, it. To be able to go there and have an amazing experience, but also to come out of it with a medal is nice as well. But also becoming an athlete in your 50s, how's, how's that experience? Uh, because I appear on television, sometimes when I do a social media post, press get hold of it. And I said, <laughs> I'm off to do the games. And, and there was some media article someone sent me that said, um, Gogglebox star changing his career becoming an athlete i'm like oh no i'm not i mean it's unbelievable <laughs> it's it's great interestingly the first two games i went to i would go with a journalist badge and i'd write an article and i'd write about being there and i thought i'm cheating i'm doing my kind of go there but not doing what you should be doing and because of the, how inclusive it is you, I mean, there were sprinters who were 60. I mean, and it doesn't matter. You do what you do. So it's great for me to do it. it competing, being part of it. In the warm-up before the powerlifting, I'm hanging out with a 20-year-old who I see, but we don't really always talk. We always nod and smile. But suddenly we're sharing tips or I'm helping them or they're wearing my wristbands. And I loved all of that. It's really, really special. And when I completed all my lifts and I had a moment on my own and I was walking back away from the sort of, I mean, there's 400 people watching you. It's, it's a big, big thing for us. And I was walking back around the sort of backstage and I welled up and I, I, I can't quite work out what it is. I think it was me feeling proud that I'd done something that I didn't expect to do. I did it better than I thought I would. But just fundamentally, it was the fact that I did it. It was, I rocked up, I did my thing and, you know, people supported me and that's a really special place. A couple of questions before I get to your piece of advice. How big of a role does comedy play in your life? Pretty big, always has. Uh, and I think uh, partly because the family, you know, that's how we roll. That's how we, there's always been, I don't like the word banter, but quick wit and, and stuff. And it's just what I've always done. Uh, I've been involved with a team of comedians called Abnormally Funny People, and we still do stuff. And there's people like Liz Carr and Chris McCausland and Lost Voice Guy and Rosie Jones. So really cool comedians. 
And obviously doing the TV show, that's a little bit... Jane says it's not. My sister says it's not about being funny. I'm like, yeah, it is a bit. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I like comedy, and I've also learned through my work. I could spend an hour lecturing you, telling you, or I could do a very clever gag that will cut to it. You will laugh, you'll be feel weird, and it will stay with you. So having that ability is really powerful for me. Oh, the last part is I love it. I mean, I book to go and see comedy frequently. I've just been at the Edinburgh Fringe mm. and saw half a dozen shows. I just love it. And you touched on it earlier as well, but being able to explore different passions, such as being on the, the board at the National um, the National Theatre, having those opportunities is that it's just something you're so passionate about and you just want to give and, and respect those, I guess, the art form in that place. Um. Yeah, I think there's a couple of bits. One, it's it's there's a, it's a real privilege, it's a real honour to be asked. Um, back to my, you have to pinch yourself, how did I end up here? I'm doing a talk soon for the Royal Television Society. Uh, that is going to have everybody who is anybody in the industry there. And I've got seven, ten minutes. That's amazing. That's really awesome. Terrifying, but awesome. So, uh, and I also know, here's the argument. We always said... If it's the same people around the boardroom table, you're going to get the same responses. Now that some boards are opening up, being different is part of me being there. It's not everything, because I still need to understand business, culture, theatre, all the other people, all the things I have to do. But I also bring another dimension, and that's really great. So, yeah, I love the fact that some of us are pushing through and in these positions of influence sometimes power whatever it might be do you get nervous for those talks uh i'm nervous now and it's three weeks away <laughs> um come the day no it all fades and then it's then you're like you're doing it yeah. it's gonna happen and it's not new I, you know in theory I'm not going to do this, by the way. But in theory, you could say you're doing it in five minutes. Go and do it, and I'd be able to do it because I, I I have done it a lot. I know what I, is important and what I care about. So in that sense, I'm it's experience has got rid of that anxiety. Um, but no, it nags me all the time. It nags me all the way building up. Uh, yeah. People will take a lot away from this conversation, but if there was something that you would want someone listening to take away from it in whatever aspect, what would you want that to be? Is this a bit of advice? Or it's not the advice else? yet. Right. I'm doubling up. <laughs> uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, then if I would relate back to the, your theme is about being outside. Active, yeah. Uh, yeah, and my bit would say, is, I'm nicking from Nike. I'd say do it. Uh, and my bit is, is, is you will hesitate and you're trying something you haven't done before. But you'll only regret what you don't do. So, and I'm doing things at an older age with a disability, and they are hugely nourishing and sometimes nervy. But so I would just say, yeah, if you're if you got a feeling about something, yeah, get out and do it. Simon, I'm so grateful for having this conversation. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Uh. I'm on social media, so the um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I have a website called sminty.net, uh, which is more about my company. Um, so, yeah, any of there. And the final thing I need from you is a piece of advice that I can pass along to a guest coming on in the near future. You're panicking. 
I'm, I'm planning. I'm, I'm cheating. Uh, I uh, told you I was writing a chapter of a book about uh, dwarfism, entertainment, all that stuff, and I am talking about Peter Dinklage, who is the actor who played Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Doesn't change it for everybody, but. Um, there is a line that I'm going to quote, and so I'm stealing Tyrion Lannister's Peter Dinklage's line, which says, never forget what you are, because the rest of the book, I'm going to say that again, never forget what you are, the rest of the world will not. Wear it like armour, and it can never be used to hurt you. That's quite a rallying cry, but if I interpret that, is be yourself, you are good, and be proud of that because if you are then the rest of it will bounce off i love that advice i look forward to passing it along simon thank you so much it's a pleasure Dom. thanks for having me thank you for listening to this episode of the outside and active podcast with my special guest simon minty i hope you enjoyed it and could take something from our conversation as i said at the beginning if you think you know someone who would enjoy this episode or this podcast just as much as you then please do forward it on to them so we can grow this outside and active community. If you're watching on YouTube, then please subscribe and hit that like button. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, then follow along and listen to some of the other podcasts with some incredible guests. We'll be back next week with another episode. I've been Dominic Brown, but until that time, enjoy the outdoors.